This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Good evening. This is episode three, The Idea of Order. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, strength, and hope. As always, I'd like to remind listeners that this is not meant to be an AA meeting, nor is it meant to stand in place of an AA meeting. What this is, is a chance to share, for me to do service, and for a listener hopefully a newcomer out there to gain a little bit of comfort, a little bit of solace. Maybe you're somewhere where you can't get to a meeting. Maybe you're alone or on the road and you just want to listen to some strength, some hope, some experience. And that's what this podcast hopes to bring. Of course, anonymity is the foundation of our tradition and all that we do, I ask that listeners or anyone who comes across this podcast, please preserve and respect my anonymity and those who come on the podcast. You may contact me at extravagantpromisespodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at extravagantpromisespodcast. Certainly welcome all questions, all comments, and if you really want to know more about me, I'd be glad to share. Just want to learn a little bit about who you are and why you're interested. But again, um, our spiritual foundation is based on anonymity and, and the principles set forth in the big book and the 12 and 12, and I ask that those be respected above all else. Tonight's a great episode, and I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. The Idea of Order at Key West by Wallace Stevens, 1879 to 1955. She sang beyond the genius of the sea. The water never formed to mind or voice, like a body, holy body, fluttering its empty sleeves. And yet its mimic motion made constant cry, caused constantly a cry, that was not ours, although we understood, inhuman of the veritable ocean. The sea was not a mask, no more was she. The song and water were not medleyed sound, even if what she sang was what she heard. Since what she sang was uttered word by word, it may be that in all her phrases stirred the grinding water and the gasping wind, but it was she and not the sea we heard. For she was the maker of the song she sang, the ever-hooded, tragic-gestured sea, was merely a place by which she walked to sing. Whose spirit is this, we said, because we knew it was the spirit that we sought and knew that we should ask this often as she sang. If it was only the dark voice of the sea that rose or even colored by many waves, if it was only the outer voice of sky 
and cloud of the sunken coral water walled. However clear it would have been deep air, the heaving speech of air, a summer sound repeated in a summer without end and sound alone. But it was more than that, more even than her voice, and ours among the meaningless plungings of water and the wind, theatrical distances, bronze shadows heaped on high horizons, mountainous atmospheres of sky and sea. It was her voice that made the sky acutest at its vanishing. She measured to the hour its solitude. She was the single artificer of the world in which she sang. And when she sang, the sea, whatever self it had, became the self that was her song, for she was the maker. Then we, as we beheld her striding there alone, knew that there never was a world for her except the one she sang and, singing, made. Ramon Fernandez, tell me, if you know, why, when the singing ended and we turned toward the town, tell why the glassy lights, the lights in the fishing boats at anchor there, as night descended, tilting in the air, mastered the night and portioned out the sea, fixing emblazoned zones and fiery poles, arranging, deepening, enchanting night. Oh, blessed rage for order, pale Ramon, the maker's rage to order words of the sea, words of the fragrant portals dimly starred, and of ourselves and, our and of our origins in ghostlier demarcations, keener sounds. That's a poem that I first came across and was taught uh, probably 30, 30 plus years ago. And it is a incredible work by an incredible poet who had the fortune to uh, meet Robert Frost and Hemingway in Key West. And there's a lot of discussion as to what that poem means. Um, it is there, there, there's much in there in terms of both the texture and the substance and the rhyme and verse and all of the different components of poetry. Um, but as I said, the, tonight's episode is called The Idea of Order, and as this is a recovery and redemption-based podcast, I, I want to talk tonight about the power of ritual and the power of habit. Um, the power of ritual in recovery and life. And I thought no better place to start than the idea of order at Key West because there's a lot there. I think you can dig deep and find meaning in many different corners, and, and there's probably much debate in many of the corners. But one of the things that I think about with that poem is that if, you've ever been to Key West, um, there is an order that is had every day there. And sometimes you can see, well, number one, you can see a whole lot of drunk people. Um, and you can see a whole lot of uh, avant-garde, eccentric people. But what you see every single day, every single day at about the same time, depending on the Earth's axis and rotation and things, 
you see sunset. The sun sets every day, just like it does for all of us, no matter where we are. But I suppose maybe if you live in the Arctic Circle or something, that maybe that that doesn't hold true all the time. But for those in Key West, it does. And there is a ritual that takes place. Part circus, part meditation, part celebration, but there is a ritual that takes place every day pretty much in Key West. I've never known it not to happen. Um, And it's a pattern and there's, and there's an order to it. Now, whether Wallace Stevens was talking about that or not, I have no idea. Um, Certainly during his lifetime, Key West was a very different place than it is now, but there's something that I think about when they, they talk about if, if a certain day, a certain type, when the sun dips below the horizon, there's a flash of green, like an emerald fire. And I think about that, that emerald fire, that divine spark that burns within all of us. And it is the program of recovery that allows us to fan those flames, that divine spark to build the bonfire and keep us uh, anointed, uh, keep us keep us keep us fed with tinder and logs to throw upon that fire, that divine spark and that divine fire of redemption and recovery and 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 joy and happiness and freedom. It's in there within all of us, and it's there in that in that fire that is seen every day at Key West when they all line up and and if you can just clear your mind of the drunkenness and different things that go on in a Mardi Gras type environment and just focus on that ritual that people get there every day to see that there is something to be learned but tonight uh, beyond the poetry and beyond the ritualistic or the the celebratory uh dances and, and, and whatnot, I do want to focus on more of the tactical and the powers of habit that helped me gain success in certain areas of my life and most definitely in the area of recovery. So there is a very good book. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but there's a very good book. And and, and in this podcast, I, I try to do a number of things. Um, I try to bring a literary quotient to it, and I like citing poetry and reciting things that I've found very interesting in my life. Hopefully the listeners appreciate that and like it. If not, maybe you could write me a letter or an email. Tell me, tell me how I can improve. Um, but I also, I never tell a story that I attribute to myself unless it is a absolutely radically honest depiction of the facts as they occurred, not a rendition or a twist or things like that or a, or a, a, a poetic license. I try to have strict adherence to the facts when I talk about my story and my stories and my experiences and my strength and hope. But um, but also, whenever I cite something literary or an idea that is not mine uh, alone, or, and I know that 
it is not mine, then I also try to cite to where I found it or a work that may have helped inspire me or something that I think listeners could gain some benefit from. So um, very little that comes out of my mouth is is novel or new. And I try to give credit and appropriate license, uh, not license, but appropriate uh, credit and and acknowledgement where there's another source that you might find the same idea or 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 an expansion on, upon that idea. The first is the book The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg or Duhigg. It it is a powerful work and very much in the vein of some of the Malcolm Gladwell works. I recommend that and talks about habit and the habit loop and the neural loops and the way in which we we create um, uh, take something and the reward and the triggers and the the pattern and turn it into a positive outcome and in that book and in the works of that author there is a discussion about Bill Wilson Bill W and the friends of Bill W and Alcoholics Anonymous and the way in which certain patterns and habits and cravings were modified and, 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 and expanded into this beautiful program that we know. So I, I commend that to everyone. So I'm talking about the power of ritual and habit. I think they are distinct and different concepts, but I do not think that they are separate. I do not think that, that, that they are entirely unrelated to one another. I think that through ritual, we can build good habit and habits. And I think as we develop the good habits, that process solidifies and takes hold and finds purchase in such a way as to make our ritual more of a conviction and a belief. And as the belief and conviction grow, so do our commitments to the habit and the, and the habit becomes automatic and, and further reinforced. And it's a loop that I believe in. So I think that each are important. And I'm sure this is all well explained in the various books and, and works that I will be discussing and have discussed this evening. As some listeners may know, I am a professional, and though sometimes I think I slip and let out what exactly I do for a living, I've tried to, to not be too explicit or express about that at this time. I probably will get into greater depth about that. Um, but in order to be a member of my chosen profession, I had to become accepted to attend, study, and graduate from a undergraduate university and receive a degree and then follow that with attendance progress through studying and graduation from graduate school. And I, and again, this will be a subject of another, another podcast, but I was not a good college student. And uh, I think a very famous professor who is regularly on television um, 
took me aside one day and said that you, he, he said, you are academically undisciplined. And that was pretty, pretty harsh. And it was <laughs> harshly true and absolutely true. I didn't like hearing it. But I had no ritual. I had no habit. I had no practice. I had no commitment. I had no rules. I had no promises. And I was able to get by on talent and brains and things like that 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 got it was enough, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't good enough. And I'm really embarrassed actually about my performance in college. I, I could have done a lot better. I should have done a lot better. I wasted that time. And I wasted it doing a lot of things that weren't a whole lot of fun, to be honest with you. But again, another story for another day. The point is that when I got to graduate school, I made the commitment that I was going to be a different type of student. And I knew that I was up against the best and the brightest in the country, that I probably didn't deserve to be there, and that some folks had made comments that, you know, uh, to such that I probably didn't deserve to be there. But I had gotten there, and my approach on the first day, the, the, the dean of the graduate school said, you're going to set your professional reputation today. How you comport yourself in class. Are you the guy or the gal who's late? Are you shuffling in un, like an unmade bed? All these things. Are you asking for extensions and whatnot? Um, that's your professional reputation and it takes hold now. Are you a person who lies, cheats, or steals? You know, that's, that's going to follow you. And I'll talk, uh, you know, about a, another story later on that one of my professors told. Uh, it was really cool um, about why he doesn't proctor exams and things because he said, basically, if you're the type who will cheat on an exam now, you'll be weeded out of this profession before too long. Um, and he was right. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that he was speaking the truth, and I'm proud that I've never done such a thing um, in my professional existence. But so what did I do? You know, I set some basic rules, and I set some basic rituals. One of the rules that I set was that I would not turn anything in late. And that was just the beginning. As I said, you know, I'm going to set some deadlines by which I won't socialize any longer. I'm going to have discipline about the way I conduct myself and the seriousness with which I, I conduct this endeavor. And, and then there was the little, the little rituals. So, um, in, in this particular type of graduate school, exams are 100% of your grade. You take a final exam, you only take one exam per course, and you sit down, and that result is what you get for that class. So if you have a bad day, and you, you had 13, 14 weeks of good days, but you had one bad day, then your grade is a bad day. Um, it's a lot like other things in life. You can if you're bad on game day, then, then that's all people remember and, and that's all they're going to know. And so I prepared myself accordingly so that I wouldn't have a bad day. And 
and I'm, and I had little things like I, I wore before I went to, and this is talking about more about ritual before I went to graduate school, a friend of mine, this is dating myself, obviously, but a friend of mine gave me one of those Nike t-shirts that had just come out and it said, just do it on it. And it, it, the, the, the slogan had been around for a while, but, but she gave it to me. And I think she was kind of saying, listen, you've kind of lived a life of messing around. You're kind of just getting by, doing the minimum and, and getting good results because you're just lucky or you're getting breaks. It's time to do it. You just get after it. Just do it. And at least that's how I took it. And so I committed that I was going to wear that T-shirt to every exam I took in graduate school and then to all postgraduate examinations and national type exams or very important level exams. And, and I did. And so that was the start. It was like, I'm going to wear this T-shirt. This is going to be the thing that I wear in there to say, I'm just going to do it. I... I would walk um, to the where the exam was. I would always set up, and I do this at the beginning of each semester. I would I would chart out. Okay, I have to be at this place at this time. How long does it take me to drive there, so that in traffic, so that I know I can be there early. And um, you know, again, just I, I planned it out. And you're going to hear a little bit more about this when, when I get to my recovery. But, but I planned it, and, and I, 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 left, I left no questions for contingencies. You know, I answered them all. I had enough pens, enough pencils. I, had, I, had, I made sure that I was locked down and good to go. So one of my rituals that I did was whenever I had a significant written assignment, and sometimes there were classes where you did have to do a, a, a written work um, short of the exam. I would do all of my work. Let's say the, the, the paper was due on a Wednesday. You know, the, I would make sure that all my preparations were do, done the Friday before that Wednesday. And then what I would do and I really hope people don't think this is me trying to brag or anything like that. Because I was, I was, like I said, I was considered the screw-up. And I was considered the wasted potential. And, I mean, I had a professor who, who you will see on TV this year. And, and that man looked at me in the face and told me I was academically undisciplined. I mean, you know, that, that's who I was. That was my identity. I didn't have a ritual. I didn't have a habit. I didn't have a practice. And so I... I decided that that wasn't going to be who I was. I was going to start, you know, essentially it was an early, early example of picking up chips of who, who you are. And so I'm, I'm telling it because I think there's extrapolation or there's illustration and, and meta and anecdote into recovery is that, is that I decided who I was, who my identity was, you know, be, do, have, and I was, who am I? And I decided that I was going to be a good student. And so on Fridays, I would have all my work done in terms of my citations and my research and all of those things laid out, my outline. And then on Saturday, I would go work out, I would do whatever, and then I would go to the grocery store and I would get a big chicken. 
and I would get vegetables and couscous and whatever. <laughs> and I would start working. And maybe about like 9 or 10 o'clock at night, I would put that chicken in the oven. I don't know how, how long it took to cook there. But, but let's say a, a couple hours before midnight, I would put that food in the oven. And then I would, I would just smell it as it was cooking. I kept working. And then about 12, 12.31 in the morning, I would roll out this just big dinner for myself, you know. And, and I felt really like a gourmet, and I felt very professional, you know, that here I am. I'm in the wee hours of the morning, and I'm eating dinner. But I would work, and then I would work all night. And um, I would polish it up, and I would then I'd have all day Sunday to chill out and kind of recover and then maybe Monday or Tuesday, I'd polish it up again and, and uh, turn it in. And I did that. And I, I made that my ritual. You know, the ritual of, uh, of, of gourmet cooking to try to get those kinds of works, academic works done. Another ritual I had was that um, I was really into, I, wasn't, I was into all kinds of music. But, but I was very much into the late 80s, early 90s, heavy metal band, rock band, Guns N' Roses. And some other Seattle bands like uh, the Screaming Trees. And there was a cool kind of rock band called Urge Overkill. And some of these bands that were, they, they rocked. And I was into it. And I would, I would find a song that was, uh, that had a real that could almost get me into a trance and I would listen to that music and I would try to time the songs so that they were in their sort of guitar frenzy, so to speak, <laughs> or whatever. Um, as I was pulling into the parking lot to park for my exam and I would be prepared and I would go through my ritual at home of getting my clothes on. I'd have, you know, a sweater and a jacket and, a, and different, you know, so that I could peel off clothes if it was too hot or I could add it. I, I would never, I'd be the perfect temperature the whole way through. And I had my six pencils and my six pens and whatever I needed. And then I would go over and I would, I would start that music. And, and, and I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the song that I use the most is a song called Coma by Guns N' Roses. And I don't know if this, if this, if I lose you at this, um, I'm sorry. It was it's it's a hard rocking song off the Use Your Illusion one, I think, uh, album, and it's called Coma, and it's about eight or nine minutes long. And by the time minute number eight or nine, whatever that last minute is, it is such a rock and roll frenzy. And I was so prepared and ready that I was almost in this kind of hypnotic trance of ready to get it on. You know, because a lot of times in this particular type of grad school exam, you sit down, they go start, and four hours later, or however later, many hours, you lift your head, they go stop. And, you, and you, that's how it's unbelievable you get into that groove. And if you're not mentally prepared for it, if you're not ready to get it on, you are not going to do well. And I was determined that I was going to do well. Like I said, I was up against some of the country's smartest kids, you know, and grown-ups, you know, and, and I was I felt like I had to be my very best to get that on. And that was a ritual. 
that was a ritual that I followed in and I found success and I did, I didn't do very, very well. Um, but I did pretty well. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm very proud of it actually, that I, that I achieved that success through ritual and discipline. And as I got out of, um, grad school and started to have to take, uh, uh, graduate, postgraduate licensure exams and things like that that are very important in my profession. You know, I came across another, another great work, and this one was by um, Lou Holtz, and it was a book that Coach Holtz wrote called Winning Every Day. And I don't mind saying, like, I was not a Notre Dame or a Lou Holtz fan before I saw him speak, but my father actually said, hey, I've got, he had gotten invited to a professional football team's awards dinner. It was kind of cool. And, um, and I went with him. He said, come with me. And, and Lou Holtz was the speaker. And he gave this great speech and he talked about his, he talked about, he's a great motivational speaker. I just got to say that he was one of the best I'd ever seen. And I was pretty impressed. And I thought, Wow. And he talked about how I think it was uh, Tim Brown or one of his Heisman players that he sat down with him and said, you know, your career's going sort of this trajectory, but it could be Heisman level. And if you want it to be, you need to decide whether you want to win. W-I-N. What's important now? And just make that decision of what's important now. And, um, and when you do, when you ask yourself that, and this is what really starts to play into recovery is what's important now. Well, I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, today, what's important now is don't drink, don't use, don't pick up, you know, that's it. Plus one or zero. You multiply all those other ones times zero, you're at zero, but you add another one on there and you're, and you're focusing on what's important now. So so Coach Holtz wrote a book called Winning Every Day. I, of course, went out and bought it right after that dinner. And I applied that to my professional trajectory and my licensure exams and being a young professional in that particular profession. And it was, I'll tell you this, it's just like the program. When you work it and you follow the principles and you stick to it, it works. When you don't, when you start enjoying that success and you get that life that's worth forgetting or you get that life that's worth losing, you know, something that, and I don't mean you want to lose it. I mean, it's, it's, it's worth, it's worth it. And you lose it because you got away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. What's important now? Get the book, check it out. Winning Every Day by Lou Holtz. I, I totally commend that. So that's how I enjoyed that kind of success. And, um, and, and I formed those rituals, those habits that wearing that t-shirt that listening to the same song, getting a kind of a trance going, just knowing that you're walking into whatever fight you're walking into in life, you're prepared. You have the moxie, you got it. You know, you got it. You've won before it started. And you just get that in your head and you just start to kind of just roll your shoulders a little bit and you just kind of swing your head a little bit. And you know, I got this. That's ritual. That's power. That's habit. 
um, making making those little those little victories. But you know how are you going to get there? How are you going to get there? So enough of me bragging and boasting about about how great I was in graduate school, and I hope people aren't turned off by that. It's just I just want you to know that you don't have to go to some fancy guru or have a life coach or even have people who give a damn about you um, in order to form habits and good, good habits and ritual. Just decide. Decide and commit. Make the decision of who are you? Who do you want to be? I want to be sober. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a great professional. I want to be a good boyfriend or a husband or a wife or a spouse. I want to be a superhero in my house. The kind of man who can be trusted. You know, when you say, I trust you. I'm not sitting here worried, looking at the clock. People aren't looking at the clock wondering, where are you? You going to come home drunk again? You going to get another DUI? You gonna beat your girlfriend up or your boyfriend up? Are you gonna you gonna you gonna talk smack at some bar and get in a fight? Is that who you are? Or are you the person when they say, "Well, oh, that person gave their word." Yeah, I can trust that. I believe that. Do you like that person? Yeah, you can trust them. So make that decision. Make the decision. Of who you are. Decide and commit, and then you plan. So when it comes to recovery, that's a little bit of how I got in there. I mean, it wasn't, it was, I'd love to tell you that's that's how it was. It was that easy, but it wasn't. And y'all have heard some of my story. I was desperate. I had the gift of desperation. I didn't know who I was. I had no idea. But what I knew was that. There, were, there was medicine in the rooms, and I knew that there were people smiling in the rooms who had overcome incredible adversity, tales of heroism, tales of, of unbelievable poise and grace and courage and strength and above all of hope. And I thought, I want that in my life again. I want that in my life again. I want to be the kind of man who makes a promise and keeps it. I want to be the kind of man who can who who's not a, a a leader among men or the best at anything, but just a man among men. That's what I wanted to be. So there's a lot of ritual obviously built into the program and we know that i have been to a lot of meetings over the years and i've been to meetings in um, multiple states i've been to meetings in on both coasts and i've been to meetings in foreign countries and there's only one meeting that i can think of Actually, maybe two. There's a meditation meeting that I can think of. But really, there are not a lot of meetings that don't start with how it works. 
you know, how it works, the 12 and 12, the daily reflections, and then end with the promises. Um, most meetings have that formula. Why? I mean, if we've been there, well, obviously you got the newcomers who need to hear it, but, but those of us, you know, who are, who are sitting there hearing it for the thousandth time or the 10,000th time, well, guess what? It's that ritual. It's that ritual. It's that comfort because you're building those habits and you're hearing those steps into practices, principles, and all our affairs. And they become rarely have we seen. I mean, think about, think about those phrases that you just know by heart now. And, and then not because you read them and memorized them because you practiced them, but because you listened and you went to the ritual and it becomes a habit and it becomes part of you. And then you start to believe and you do these little things. It's kind of like Scheherazade. I think it was Scheherazade who turned the thousand and one nights or, you know, <laughs> um, I need to probably bone up on my on my uh, historical literature, but but the story where um, the king who had the the physical ailments and they kept lowering making the making the polo mallet smaller and smaller and and shorter and shorter and and so and there was medicine in the handle and so he's sweating and I don't know maybe I'm messing up the the parable or the story but it's like the parable of stone soup. Hey, let's let's put this stone in the in the water. But guess what brings out the flavor of the stone? It's carrots. And guess what brings out the flavor of the carrots and the stone is beef. And and pretty soon you've got this great stew, and it has nothing to do with the stone. Well, I don't think that's the same thing here necessarily. But there is something to be said for you know look at the look at the foundations and look at the at the at the at the structure upon which this is built. Well, first, we know the most basic is you can't get you can't get sober drinking. You can't recover if you're not in recovery. If you're not if you're if you're still drinking, so so kind of ground floor is stop drinking. Well, how do we stop drinking and stay stopped? And how do we get the how do we get the real juice and the serenity? We came for the drinking, we stayed for the thinking. How do we get that? Well, we go to meetings. You know, we go to meetings and we keep going to meetings. Now, I'm not necessarily a believer that meeting makers make make it or meeting makers don't make it. I, I don't think there's any hard and fast set of rules. I think you have to set your own rules and your and, and and listen to your elders and listen to people who have what you want and do what they do and 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 decide, okay, that sounds like I can do it. Believe, commit, take action. So you go, you go to the meetings. You go a lot. You go to, you do a ninety and ninety. Um, it's interesting, you know. Despite being a couple years, you know, several years in, you know, I, I'm doing, I'm doing kind of a meeting every single day because I love it. And first, it's kind of, yeah, I got a plan. I got to get there. How am I going to do it? And then all of a sudden, you know, realize like, wow, you've been to forty something, fifty something. It starts to add up. And you just realize, like, now you, you go until you love it and you can't get enough of it. You just want to keep going. And then you work the steps because, you, for, because then before that, you get a sponsor, somebody who has what you want that seems to know the drill. And you, and you, 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 you know, you do your research and find out about the person. Do they seem to be somebody you trust and, and who trusts you? And then you, you, you make the next step. You start to work those steps. You know, you're, you're probably at, at the second floor of the house at this point. You know, the ground level was, okay, I stopped drinking. The next time I'm going to meetings. I climbed up those stairs and I got a sponsor. 
You know, then I got up, maybe got a home group. You know, I started attending some some home group meetings. Maybe maybe my sponsor wants me to set up coffee and help break down and show up, be of service, and then you start working those steps. And you know, there are thousand and one different opinions about how to work the steps. Do you do it all at one time? In fact, no. I mean, do you do you work one step then another? Do you do it one step a year? I've heard that. I don't know. I just know that my sponsor about six months in to my program pulled me aside and said, you're not working the steps. You're not giving it. You're freelancing your program. You, he, he was a great man. He is a great man. Unbelievable man. Um, I'd love to have him on this podcast one day. Um, but he, he was, I needed him and he pulled me aside and said, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you loose. If you don't, if you don't work the steps, you're on step four, let's do it. And I wrote out a book Gosh, I've got it. It's sitting right here on my desk. It's got a big four on it. And it is just an incredible. I, I think I was the best fourth stepper on earth. Of course, my ego and self-will were in right there, ladies and gentlemen. But, you know, I, I took my inventory and I, and I did charts and all that stuff because I wanted to make him know that I was doing my best to be a good fourth stepper. And four, five, six, you know, th- those were Seven, those are those are tough, tough steps for me. But this isn't a podcast today or tonight. This episode is not about about those steps, about working that step. It's about about that house of ritual, that house of personal ritual and personal discipline and personal habit that gets you to the promised land of serenity and recovery. It gets you in there, gets you in there, and then you, and then what do you do to stay there? Yeah, same thing. Keep working it. So when I came in the rooms, um, I'm a big, big fan of a gentleman named, a former Navy SEAL, retired Navy SEAL named Jocko Willink. Um, I do have a lot of admiration for my brothers who are in the military and, and, and the people that I train with that are uh, special operations, SEALs, SF, um, and other uh, units in the in the military and, and regiments, um, and this particular gentleman has a podcast. I think it's called Jocko Podcast, and he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And I absolutely commend those works to men and women who want to learn and learn about discipline and leadership. And I think they apply to recovery. I honest to goodness do. They don't talk a lot about recovery in there because that's not the focus of the podcast, but there's a lot to be learned there. There's also a gentleman uh, that I knew earlier in my life, um, uh, I personally knew, um, and his name is Rich Roll, and he's got a podcast too, and I I do think both of those are good. He does more uh, in the recovery field. Uh, His focus is is plant-based living, but but there's a lot of recovery. He's he's in the program, as I understand, and, and announces that openly. Um, so I'm not breaking his anonymity. He has he has done that on his podcast. So both are extremely well thought out and very popular and and well produced. So I commend those to to the listeners out there. But what I want to talk about is that Jocko had a guy on his podcast who's just an American hero and a, a gentleman named Charlie Plum. And Mr. Plum, or, or uh, I think um, I don't know his rank, uh, commander, maybe in the in the 
in the captain, per, perhaps in the in the navy. He was a pilot in in Vietnam, and he was shot down, and he spent six years in the Hanoi Hilton, and under just absolutely harrowing conditions of how he got there. He was one of the few people to survive on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, being dragged up there from South Vietnam all the way to Hanoi, and then tortured, beaten, starved, tortured, and then sent into isolation in a prison camp where other American heroes, all absolutely deserving of of my everlasting love and respect and honor, um, men like John McCain, men like Admiral Stockdale, um, a number of men, Senator, well, I'll look it up, but the gentleman who wrote uh, When Hell Was in Session, just incredible men, men who I could only aspire to have one ounce of the sand that is in the basement of those men, their courage and their grit and their resilience. But the reason I'm not trying to tell war stories or, or, or turn this into a military podcast, what I'm talking about is that there were there were lessons that this gentleman spoke of and, and the things that got him through the most harrowing of physical drama, of, of personal drama, of, of, of personal excruciating uh, times for years. And, and what he said was that it was faith, discipline and pride and one of his fellow captors his fellow officers was admiral stockdale who was later um, uh, awarded the medal of honor and was a vice presidential candidate and and he came up with something called the stockdale paradox that was written about widely and it's an interesting it's a very interesting concept to behold because you'll see it in the rooms all the time. The guy who comes in and I'm going to hit a hundred meetings in 90 days, make it 180 and I'm going to get, I'm going to get sober tomorrow and I'm going to, I'm going to beat this. They're, they're unrealistic optimism. And I do like the commitment and I honor that. But at the same time, you know, I'm one of those people who says, I'm going to die sober, but, 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 but first I got to get through today. I got to get through today and I can't guarantee tomorrow is not a guarantee. It's a daily reprieve. And the Stockdale paradox is that you, you, you had to have this balance between, um, a, a deep faith that you would prevail and the, the, the courage inside to have resilience that you're going to get through it. You're going to get rescued. You're something that's going to happen, but you also have to have an unabashed, unvarnished reality of the truth. The, the self, guess, guess what that sounds like? An inventory. Doesn't that sound like a self-assessment? Say, you know, character defects. Understanding you are in a hole. You're, as Churchill said, when you're in hell, keep walking. Well, you know, you're in hell, and, and, and you need to know that. And you can't pretend you're going to be home by Christmas or you're going to be home by Easter or you're going to be sober and recovered and that's all there is by 30 days from now. No, you need to, you need to have the brutal self-awareness and the honesty and that radical honesty to say, 
I, my better thinking has gotten me to a place of absolute, the abyss. It's gotten me into that black abyss. And I'm thinking maybe about not continuing in this game. That's how bad it is. I would take the greatest thing that a human can be given, which is life, and throw it away because that's how bad my life's gotten. I need to understand that that's where I am. Brutal self-awareness. Searching in fearless moral inventory. Hmm? Sound familiar? Um, and that's what he said is you have to balance those two things is a deep abiding faith that you would prevail with a brutal self-awareness of where your circumstances were and that it's not going to end and you just have to stand by to get some, so to speak. So what I, I listened to the Stockdale Paradox and I'd heard about it and I'd read about it and I wanted to learn more about it and that took me to this particular podcast with Charlie Plum. And what he said that got him through is basically the same thing. Faith, discipline, and pride. I love that, you know, because I didn't feel like I, I did not, I'll, I will tell that, and there will be more podcasts on this subject, but I did not have faith of any sort. I was the guy who plays Call of Duty and thinks he can be a sniper in the Marine Corps. I was the guy, in terms of my faith, I was the guy who watches UFC on TV and says, um, I could be an MMA fighter, you know, in terms of my faith. I was the guy who who drunkenly tells the person in a bar, you know, who's a accomplished lawyer, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm a good bullshitter. I, I, I can, I'm fast on my feet. I could be a good lawyer. You know that guy, you know. And when it comes to religion and higher power and faith, that was me. You know, I could talk about, I could cite some scripture and, oh, I could say, you know, uh, a man's foes or well, shall be those of his own household, Matthew 10, 36 or something like that and throw stuff out and seem kind of cool. And I got to, you know, I'm spiritual or I'm reverential or whatever. You know, I was full of it. I didn't have faith. And when it came to my personal life in a lot of different ways, I had absolutely no discipline. All those things I talked about that I had developed in graduate school, I had lost them in terms of clearing my mind, what's important now, any of those things. Like I said, I was, I was lucky that the bad habits and the misfortune never pervaded my professional life such that I never, I never did anything that compromised my clients or anything like that. But I wasn't my best every day. You know, at work, I wasn't a good coworker. I wasn't a good boss. I wasn't a good friend. I sure wasn't a great husband, and I wasn't a great father. And I've tried to make amends to my children and to my ex-wife, but, you know, I don't know if it's that's their path to decide whether to accept them. Sometimes I wonder if I ever deserve it. You know, that's how bad I was, undisciplined. Pride had none. Now, I know that pride can be a deadly sin, the sin of pride and, you know, uh, um, ego and self-will run, run right. And I get it, ego, easing God out. Um, I do think ego is the enemy. But I don't think that having pride in the sense of, there are a lot of different definitions and <laughs> they can be, I think having a little bit of that, moxie or a little bit of something you know what they call the sand in the basement 
You know, you got some sand in the basement. You got something down there that you can call on. It's a little bit of pride, you know. And and um, you know, the the words F O or F U, you know, um, that's not good. That's that's vulgar. But a little bit of that, you know, a little bit because F U, you know, because you're not taking me down, not today. You know, I'm a I'm I'm kind of a big Game of Thrones fan. You know that scene where they where the in the very first season when that that guy who's the sword master and he's teaching Arya Stark with his wooden sword, and they come and they're coming to kill him and and then take her, and he says, you know, you need to get out of here. And she goes, what about you? And he goes, what do we say to the God of Death? Not today. You know, I thought, yeah, not today. That's that's pride. Not today. You know, you're gonna have to beat me another day because I'm 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 not going down today. So so what do you what do you got? Your faith. You have a, a lasting and abiding conviction that you will prevail. That's a lasting and loving and and deep belief that the program works. It works. Look at the men and women who have walked this path. Rarely have we seen it fail. Personally, I've never seen it fail. I've never seen, you know, here are the things that I've never seen. I've never seen, I've never met someone who said, my life was a mess and I started going to meetings and my life got worse. Just never seen it. I've never seen someone say, you know what? My life was going great, so I stopped going to meetings, and my life got better. Never heard that either. I've never heard someone say, you know what? Um, my life was, was going well or badly, and so I picked up a drink, or I snorted a line of cocaine, or I smoked a joint, and life got better. Never heard those words. You know? So I have conviction that I look around, and I see people who, who are doing the deal every day, and I see success, and I think... Okay, cool. I have a faith, a deep abiding faith that the program works. And I also have a much, thanks to the program, a deep abiding faith in my higher power. I have been saved by my higher power. No question about it. I was given a divine spark, and the program allows me to nurture and fuel that spark into a bonfire that I don't ever want to let go out, but it's a daily thing. Every morning, it's just coals and embers and a little bit of flame, you know, going. You know how it is when you wake up in a campfire and you see that little little flame going? And you go, okay, I got to put some logs on there. I got to go to a meeting. I got to get down on my knees and pray. I'm going to ask God to, to come into my mind before I do. You know, all the things my sponsor taught me. So that's faith. Discipline. This is, the, this is tough because you got to set some rules. I had to set some rules. And my sponsor told me, he said, listen, you know, you have made a habit of breaking promises. You know, little promises. Maybe it's to your wife. Maybe it's to yourself. Maybe, you know, you say you're going to show up at the gym and you don't. You know, whatever it is. Maybe it's big promises. Maybe you're doing some stuff that's really bad. You know, who knows? Maybe you just can't even speak the words. But what he said to me was, we're going to make a promise. And the first promise is going to be, you're going to call me if you, if you want a drink. That's all I'm asking. So you give me the chance to hear why you think you need to go drink. I don't think he said exactly this, but I think someone said, you call me, you tell me you're going to go drink. And if the reason's good enough, I'll buy the first one. But you know that, you know, 
but but the idea was that this is a promise you have to you're going to keep this promise you're not going to go drink and then call me you're going to call me before you drink and you know i kept that promise he's like this this is just going to be something you keep you start to make promises and you keep them i'm going to be here at a certain time you're there you know um there's some other deeper promises that i made to some other people at that time um especially in the fall of 2015. And I talked about two of those angels in my life. And I, I will be telling more stories about those angels. I have, I have had some, some almost otherworldly experiences with some people who saved my life, and they were sent there by my higher power. And, and one professional woman in particular um, made me make a promise. And... Um, you know, some, some other folks around it did the same thing, and, 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 and it saved my life. I mean, there's no question about it. It kept me alive. And, and I love them. God, I love them for that. I, I don't know what I did. It's like the song Why Me by Chris Christopherson, you know. Um, why, why me, Lord? What did I do to deserve this? You know, I'm such a wretch, but, but, but I was given this. So that's so so discipline make make about promises promise I'm going to go to you know setting up ritual discipline ritual habit I'm in the habit of going to a meeting every day I mean I know that's not technically those little habits kind of thing but I have the ritual and I and it really is a habit at this point you know, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, you've strung together. You start to get past a thousand days, but you know, you start to really get get some good good traction going with those plus ones. And then we come to the last one, pride. You know, because when you're down, when you're that guy in the arena that Teddy Roosevelt talks about, and I will be doing another podcast. I keep saying this. I'll do another podcast, but yeah, I'm going to be talking about the man in the arena. Also, it was his speech at the Sorbonne, um, and um, in which they have taken that segment. Some people call it the man in the arena. Some people call it the critic. It's not the critic that counts. But there's that part where he talks about your face is marred by blood and sweat and tears. And he fails and fails again, striving valiantly. Because you, can, you can't know the, the, the great, the heights without without failure defeat Rudyard Kipling talks about it in his famous poem if and again um, Jocko Willink discusses and breaks down if and I love I love hearing a man who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu um, and and a commander in the Navy seals and a combat veteran discussing poetry I, I just find that to be entirely inspiring and uh, hats off but if when he says there's nothing left that your 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 sinew is is going your your body and your brain and everything is gone and there's nothing left inside you except the will that says hold on you know ladies and gentlemen I'm going to curse for a second because it's because fuck you you know and I apologize that I, I really want to make this a, a podcast that offends no one. But, but it's that thing inside you that's just like, you know what? Not today. 
not today. You're not getting me today. I'm better than this. I'm better than that man or that woman who's down there on your knees, scrabbling for change to try to find a way to get to the liquor store. Or I'm better than that guy who's lying, you know, lying next to your loving spouse, a woman lying next to your man or woman, lying there, cheating, drunk. You're better than the person who's using drugs. You're better than that. Because that's pride. Or you just look at yourself and go, you know, you know it. Every human is better than that. You got this. Let's go, champ. That's a, those are the things that you know. You know, it's 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 where where that the light's about to go out. Someone's gonna snuff it out, you know. Resistance, adversity, the punk, the bully, the bottle, the needle, the 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 powder, the crack pipe, whatever. It's standing over you with its with its smirk and its and its sneer and it's looking down at you. Because that's what they always said about you. You didn't have the sand in the basement. You didn't have grit. You didn't have resilience. You didn't have any of those things. You're just a punk who was who was who was give mama's boy or mama's girl or daddy's girl, whatever. You were spoiled and you didn't deserve it. And they knew they knew you were going to break. It could break you. But that's not that's not you. That's not me. You know when I was sitting there and you're just an, you're just a moment away from snuffing out the light. And you sit there and you think, you know, I know, I know, I know there's something out there that works. I know I see these people. They're doing that deal. Think about all those men and women who walked our program when, when it wasn't cool to walk the program. You didn't have celebrities touting their sobriety on TV. Hell, they didn't even have televisions, you know. And, and you're talking about men and women, you know, like I've got family members who – who I didn't even know, you know, you didn't even know they were in the program till you found the chips on their, in their dresser after their funeral. I mean, and you knew that, man, they walked that anonymous, beautiful program and they kept, and they, and they did the deal because they had faith and they had discipline and they had pride. Well, that's how I did it. That's how Charlie Plum did it in the Hanoi Hilton. And damn it, if he can do it, man, I can, I can, I can put the plug in the jug. Nobody's beating me. Nobody's force feeding me. Nobody's putting me in isolation chambers and, and, and beating me within an inch of my life. I can do this. Faith, discipline, pride. Not today. You got this. Stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. Between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely dark and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Well, that's by the 
granddaddy of them all, of American poetry, Robert Frost, in my humble estimation. And I read that because, one, it's just, I mean, it's just a gangster of a poem, in my opinion. And, two, it does have that message of just kind of, I, I've got miles to go before I sleep. Faith, discipline, pride. It's also one of the poems that I was, I wasn't really forced to memorize this one because I, to say forced would mean I didn't want to. I wanted to, but it was one of the poems that was required uh, to be memorized by a very famous English teacher that was my professor in my junior year at an all-boys boarding school in western Massachusetts where there's a lot of Robert Frost up there, uh, that's for sure. And it was one of the poems that my two best friends, one of whom you've met <laughs> in my last podcast, the uh, Always Beside You podcast, episode number two. Um, and my late best friend who passed away, the, and, and, and you'll hear more about, but just, just an absolute prince of a man. Um, but we used to, we used to sit there and recite it back to each other five, 10, 15, 20 years, 25 years after, after we left that hallowed ground and we were forced to memorize those poems and things, but, but that was one we could always knock out because it's just a great poem. But I love that it's the cadence and the words and the way it, that miles to go and it repeats it, the ritual, the habit, faith, discipline, pride. Believe me, Ladies and gentlemen, if I can do this, you can do this. You got this. What do we say to that demon? What do we say to that bottle? Not today. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. That brings to a close episode three, the idea of order. Take a moment before you sign off, before you close this podcast application, however you're listening to this. Take a deep breath in. Think of your, of your own fortitude 
and of your own resilience and of your own grit. Let's take a moment and pray for the sick and suffering inside and outside the circle of our fellowship. God, please take the divine spark that you've allowed to burn inside me. Please take the tinder and the firewood of ritual and habit of faith, of discipline, of pride, of what's important now. Please take these things and take that flame and give it to the person who who doesn't have the fire yet or who's blind in the darkness and suffering and sad and feeling hopeless. Show that little spark. Take from me from this wick and light that candle. If it be thy will, if it be thy will, let this light burn brightly. Let my light burn brightly so that I can show by example and by good works and service your love and your will and the beauty and majesty of this program. Amen. Good night.